Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Some People Call That Jesus. The topic we're looking at today is in the realm of imagination and curiosity, which is really, in, in my mind, is this amazing function of the mind that God gave us to really see things that aren't there. You know, you don't have to see it with your eyes to picture it or capture it with your imagination. And it can be such a powerful tool, not only for daily life and a, a variety of creative things that people use it for in the world and things like that, but also to really picture and capture the things that God tells us and that he shows us. Because one thing about God's word is that he tells us what is yet to come. You know, we call that prophecy, future events, future things. God tells us what is yet to take place and the good things. He gives us promises for our life, which are amazing, which sometimes seem unbelievable because the promise is so big and so good and so grand, especially compared to this evil world, that it's kind of hard to picture or imagine that for ourselves. But imagination is supposed to be used to capture these promises and these things of God that he has shown us and that he's told us. And not only promises in his word, but we have all these different stories and one that we'll be looking at today in the Bible showing where imagination was used and even inspiring us still to this day. Because I feel like maybe sometimes I have an over and active imagination. Um, but even later as I've gone on in years of my life, I feel like I've really seen the advantage or the necessity of having a sense of curiosity or a sense of wonder that I think comes out of or comes with imagination. And one of them is just in exploring the things of God and his word and this walk with him to really be curious and want to dive deeper and want to understand things more and really grab onto with my mind, with my heart, the things that he's promised and shown us. So I think curiosity is very important for the Christian journey, helping us to pursue the things of God more and more. So we're going to be looking at the function of imagination and we're going to be looking in the story of Abram, which is, who is Abraham? But there's a time when he was called Abram before God changed his name. And part of the promise or what God has Abram capture with his imagination impacts this change of name and what happens to him. So part of the story, jumping around in two different spots, but it's back in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. And Genesis chapter 17 is what I want to read first. 17, 1 through 5. And... This is the part of the promise when God's talking with Abram, and then we're going to jump back a little bit in the story. But I kind of call this section Abram and the Stars. So Genesis 17, verses 1 through 5, and they say this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And if you're not story, if you're, sorry, if you're not familiar with the story of Abram becoming Abraham in this time, and here, as it said in the first verse, he's 99 years old, there's a promise that he will be the father of many nations. He will have many descendants, children, grandchildren to come after him. But him and his wife, Sarah, they have not had this child yet. And here he is, 99 years old, his wife old as well, not the same age, but close to, and they still haven't had this child. So it really takes a stretch of the imagination because in the physical, biological sense, it's impossible for them to have kids. Yet God is still confirming this promise with them of him having this son with his wife and what that would mean and the promise that would come of it and the many nations that would come as having a child and having a son. 
So that's really cool that here's this promise. And then if you go back uh, two chapters to Genesis 15, earlier in the story of Abram, where God confirms his covenant with him initially, where he's telling him, because that's not, that's not the first time in chapter 17 that God tells Abram about this promise of many descendants. You go back earlier and he's told him again. And in chapter 15, it's interesting because here's where the role of imagination starts to come in. He actually gives Abram a visual with which to grasp onto the promise, with uh, which to picture and kind of hope for these many descendants that he hasn't yet had. And I believe that at this time, when he first told Abraham, he was back 75 years old, which is still old to have children, as you can imagine. But now, in the uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, where we see he's 99, he's still waiting on the promise. God has him still hoping, trusting in his word, grasping with his imagination what is yet to come, over almost 25 years and 99 years old. That takes a lot of, lot of patience and hope for sure. So back in Genesis 15, verse 5, he's telling him, well, he's telling him this is how your descendants will be. And I love the visual he gives here. And this is what it plays into imagination and how God uses that with us. And Genesis 15, 5 says this, He took him, that is Abram, outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if you indeed can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, I know I said at the beginning that the imagination, we can picture and capture something with our mind without having a visual. Well, this is similar. God is giving him a visual of the stars in the sky, but he's wanting Abram, later to be called Abraham, to picture with his mind, to capture the idea, to hold on to the promise that that's how many people will come from your lineage that will be a part of your genealogy after you. Look at all these people. If you can count the stars in the sky, and I can only imagine back then, you know, him in the desert or wilderness, way back in time, no, no artificial lights or cities or the pollution that blocks our view many times now, but a night sky where he can see so many stars. And if you've ever had a clear night where you're counting the stars or starting to look up at them and you can see many, you know, you start to count and look through them and it's easy to lose count, lose track. There's just so many and um, you kind of get lost in the number and in the count and in the visual. Um, I, feel, I picture Abram doing this here, trying to look up at the stars to grasp in his mind or to capture a number of the descendants that he'll have, but not even be able to do that. And having that image of those stars locked in his mind as God over the years, many years in his life, continues to reaffirm this promise that you'll have many descendants. Every night he goes out, he looks up at the stars, he can capture again with his imagination how many people would come from his lineage, which is really cool to think about how God helps inspire our imagination and even gives us visuals, he gives us stories, he gives us knowledge in order to inspire that function of our mind that he designed us with. And I think that being made after the likeness and image of God as we are as people that imagination is kind of the function of a creator. Because when God created the earth and us and everything in it, it had to first be a thought in his mind. It had to first be a curiosity or an imagination or whatever you would call it before he spoke these things into being. So I picture that the imagination we have, maybe it's on a smaller level, maybe it's been degraded by sin over time, but that's another reflection of the likeness and character of our creator who used his imagination in the creation of all the things, including us. So going further, understanding a little bit more that God uses imagination, capturing it in the life of Abram, and something that was humanly impossible, but with God possible, and God gave him a visual, something that his mind could grasp onto to continue to hope and wait for that. So it made me look at what else does the Bible talk about imagination? 
And depending on your translation of the Bible, the word imagination might be changed slightly, and I'll point that out here. But the Bible actually talks about the the fall of imagination. What what hurts our mind's ability to think far, to understand this life in this world. And it's in Romans chapter 1. And in here, it's kind of talking about the early people, sin had entered the world, early humanity, the first generations that started to come about, what led to the fall or the uh, degradation of their minds, and even the understanding of their hearts. So it's Romans chapter 1, verses 21 is the first verse, Romans 1, 21. And it says this, again, of the early peoples, early humanity that was after the fall of man, after sin had come into the world. And it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Some, uh, some translations say they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here, which this can impact us nowadays, even Christians who have been born again and are walking in a relationship with God, what can impact our mind's ability to imagine and our heart's ability to understand? And it says here they had a knowledge that God existed. It's not that they were total atheists and they lacked all this knowledge. No, it says here they knew God existed, but they gave up glorifying him or being thankful to him. We might call that praise and thanksgiving, worship. It goes on to say in Romans chapter 1 that they began to worship other things, things of this earth, fake gods, idols made out of stone and wood that looked like humans, looked like creatures, looked like anything um, of this world that could be seen with the eyes. They shifted from God and worship to other things, to earthly things. And the immediate impact is that their imaginations became vain or futile, meaning they lost purpose, lost function, lost effectiveness, and their understanding of things began to be dwindled down more and more. So there's this darkening of the mind that takes place. And if you continue in that Romans chapter 1, you go down to verse 28 and it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which ought not to be done. So they started with the knowledge of God, yet they shifted their focus to only things that they could see physically. They started worshiping other things, being thankful and trustworthy to things outside of God. And it got to the point that even that knowledge of him that they had, they thought it wasn't worthwhile. It became secondary knowledge and they let it slip away. And as we'll look here, that a person can degrade further beyond this point when you lose that knowledge of God. And we'll see what the Bible says here. But expanding upon this aspect of the mind being darkened, the heart being darkened, when man turns from God to things of the world, go to Ephesians chapter 4, and it expands a little bit further what is happening inside of a person when they shift from God and what this darkness is doing and this level of thinking is doing. So it's Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. This is the full context. It kind of adds to that verse in Romans. And it says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And to help myself understand, I kind of had to work backwards in that verse in a way. So it says, people's hearts have become hardened. They've lost sensitivity um, and they've lost a reception to the things of God, to the things of the truth. And what happens is that blocks knowledge from getting in. So instead of knowledge, they have ignorance. So there's ignorance in their hearts because their hearts are hardened and they don't like to listen or look at the things of God anymore or his word. 
And so that ignorance in them causes an issue. It says it causes separation from the life of God. It causes separation from the light and rather puts you into darkness because it says they're darkened in their understanding. So you can see as people in Romans 1 shifted from worshiping God and being focused on him, they separated themselves from him, from the light, from the truth, from that source of life, and they became darkened. They became ignorant. Their hearts grew hard. And it says your thinking becomes futile. He says, don't live that way anymore because many of the things in your life is the result of futile thinking. The Bible says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. So just think if your thinking is very damaged because you shifted away your focus from God. So you think on a very shallow, unproductive level. You fail to understand many aspects of your life or the life of others around you. That can be very dangerous. They can start to transform your life, hurt your future and your results. You can see all the things that could uh, come about as a result of that. So we need to be renewed in our minds, the Bible tells us to do in many places. We need to shift our focus back to the Word of God, being thankful, meaning understanding what He has done for you, and then exalting and praising Him, meaning you understand who God is, and you give Him praise because of who He is. Because thankfulness is about what God has done, and praise is about who He is. So if you stay focused on those two basic things, and we make that a focus of our life, even each and every day, it has a great impact upon our imagination and our understanding and our ability to think through problems and situations, which we can all agree we need clear thinking, we need solutions. Most of the time, I wish my mind was in a better position to address a problem, to think through a situation so that I make the best decision possible. And this is the result of it. We can see where the degradation comes in, but we can see where the restoration comes in by reshifting our focus back into the things of God. And I won't get too far into this section, but the Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You can see back in Romans 1, as people degraded, their imaginations and their understanding went down. They had knowledge of God, and then they got to the point where that wasn't even worthwhile. Even to the point that from their heart and true belief and sincerity, they can say there's no God. There's nothing beyond this physical world, which we know is a perspective very prevalent in our world and in our culture today. That's what happens when we forsake what fuels our imagination and our understanding of greater things. So my encouragement is in Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, I use the encouragement, look again to the stars just as God had Abram to do. But don't look to the stars in terms of the, the deceptions and the lies that are in the world, because a lot of people, a surprising amount actually, they may look to their zodiac signs, or the certain signs for the month that they're born, their fortunes or future being told by the stars and the moon and things like that, all kind of fortunes being told to see if you're going to have good luck, bad luck, good future, bad future. But those, the things of space, the stars, the planets, they can't tell anything about your life. They can't give you hope for the future because they don't have a mind of their own. Really, it's, it's important to, to shift and look to the mind behind the universe because that's common now. The universe sends me signs, or the universe sent this my way, or the universe is telling me something. It's like, I hate to say it, but the, the universe doesn't have a mind. The universe doesn't care about you. It seems really harsh, but I picture rocks flying around in space don't, don't care about your future and your plans and your hopes and dreams, but the mind behind the universe, that of God, he has the ability and the love to care about each individual and to look after you and to answer to you. And Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 says it this way, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. 
Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. That's not to say look to the stars to tell you about your future or look to something else in this world to give you hope, but it says look to the one who made the beauty of the stars, the stars that are hard to count, hard to measure, these amazing things of space. See it as the handiwork of God and the mind and the heart behind those things, the one who truly cares about you, to lift your imagination above this world, to reignite your understanding so that you know what's going on in your life and in your future. And I think this is really important. Look to the one who cares. And for our last two points, just to end, I want to say what, could, what should be, I said what could be, what should be the limits to our imagination? First one is Proverbs 3, 5 very famous and popular verse in the Bible. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. When you understand who God is and what he's done, it develops trust in the relationship you have with him one-on-one. -on -one. And in that trusting relationship where your heart's invested in him, you can even encounter situations where you don't understand what's going on, how God's going to get it done. You just need to know who he is, and you'll have trust that he'll see you through the problem or situation. So don't try to understand and figure everything out before you trust in God. He makes it uh, plain and clear about who he is. Let your trust be in that fact, and let him take care of the rest of the details. And then this is the biggest verse for me on the aspect of imagination. If there's one verse in the Bible that you would use to judge and to shape your imagination off of, I encourage you to use this one verse. Again, very popular, very simple, one sentence, Luke 1, 37, and it says, For nothing is impossible with God. And I thought, man, just think in, the, in anyone's life, but in the Christian life where you have a relationship with God and walking with him that he calls you to, just think if the only thing that limited my imagination, meaning the only thing that limited my idea of what was possible was this one verse, that if I'm with God, nothing is impossible. I don't need to know what kind of new creative solution or outcome God could conjure up for me in my situation. I just need to know if I stick with him, nothing is impossible, and I won't let my mind or any other voice reason me out of that verse and promise. So Luke 137, if you took away nothing from this episode, walk away with that verse and only limit your imagination by what God can do, which is the impossible. So thank you for studying with me about imagination and curiosity. I hope you learned something. I hope you look into the story of Abram becoming Abraham and some of these verses to help us expand our thinking and to be on par with what God wants us to do and where he wants us to go. So again, I appreciate your time and I look forward to studying again with you very soon.